and welcome to episode 41 of the Radical English Gentleman podcast, the best anti-government libertarian podcast in the UK. Today we are joined by the man who I had 40 weeks ago, not to this day, um, so it's an absolute pleasure to be joined by him. He's called Peter, he's my brother, it's Peter Jacobs is in the building. Well, he's not actually in the building, because, yeah. On, on the Discord, I know. Yeah, Discord, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, do you want to give a little intro about who you are and what you're about? This is actually my third time on. No, it's so, not. Because, oh, wait, yeah. yeah. I was, I was yeah. there with Quinn for that terrible <laughs> guns rights debate we had. Um, yeah, not not really in touch with him anymore, to be honest. But, um, yeah, anyway, who am I? Uh my name is Peter Jacobs. I am uh, a master's student of international relations. Um, I'm currently writing my thesis where I'm looking at uh, different state positions on lethal autonomous weapon regulation um, and trying to explain the different state positions. Um, uh, but while I'm doing that, I'm working as a librarian at the Peace Palace Library, um, which is based in The Hague. The Peace Palace uh, is quite a famous institution in the world of international law because um, it's the building where the International Court of Justice and the Permanent Court of Arbitration and the Hague Academy of International Law all sit. They all sit in this building called the Peace Palace. And I'm working in a library in that building, serving the work of the court, uh, providing books and, you know, being a librarian. Um, Yeah, so that's kind of what I'm doing. That's, that's, yeah. I mean, other things, you know, I, I would consider myself an activist on certain issues. Uh, I'm um, currently some, involved some in Some would camp- say not the right issues sometimes. Ooh, ooh, some ooh. I'm sure would say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, for example, I'm part of uh, a movement called World Youth for Climate Justice, campaigning um, for the world's biggest court, the ICJ, to produce an advisory opinion. Uh, on climate change and human rights. Um, so there's going to be a vote in the United Nations General Assembly on this issue uh, later this year, we expect. And uh, in this vote, um, there will be a motion for the G- UN General Assembly to compel uh, the the ICJ to produce this advisory opinion. Um, and maybe we can talk about it later, but it's... it's um, yeah... It's it's for me it's kind of a perfect uh, issue to get involved with because um, it you know it, it it combines sort of climate justice, international law, um, kind of international politics, and it's you know it's kind of at the intersection of those three things which are are interests for me. Um, also, I recently rejoined the Labour Party. <laughs> Dear me. Um, I I only left the Labour Party really for a mixture of financial and uh, sort of logistical reasons because I've been living outside the UK the last two years. Um, I thought it didn't make sense uh, for me to keep paying to the Labour Party when I was really broke and uh, wasn't doing anything with the Labour Party. Um, but then I found out you, that there was actually like a Labour Party uh, group in my city, The Hague, in the Netherlands. Um, so I decided to rejoin to get involved with them. 
and also and i guess again we can get into this um labor is you know on the rise in the in a in a, in a political sense you know they're doing very well in the polls more in the uk um, yeah in the uk yeah, yeah. Hmm. um i haven't really I seen it, around it, europe it, more just here isn't it well i think social democratic parties are actually doing quite well recently i mean they won the german elections for example no one expected that um also even though sweden the you know most people were talking about who came second in the sweden swedish election which was the sweden democrats led by a party that um uh was kind of what was the word yeah i mean it's a far-right party that that came second but the, the the party that came first and increased its share of the vote uh, is the Social Democrats, um, and also uh, Australia elected um, a centre-left uh, government, New Zealand. Um, yeah, know, well, so New it, Zealand, uh, I mean, that woman well, is absolutely insane. Yeah. What, she is one of the most scariest people, I think, in a, like, quote-unquote, liberal democracy in the world she is despicable i i don't say much but i would i have hatred towards that woman the way she talked about people if you replace the word unvaccinated with black jew like you know you couldn't do it she she treated (coughs) people like fucking dirt and the other thing I really don't like about the woman. The way she treated the healthcare staff in New Zealand, absolutely disgusting. The unvaccinated, absolutely appalling. Same with Australia, absolute crackpot authoritarians. No respect for them. That woman, like, crimes against humanity, the stuff she's been saying and doing, and uh, most importantly. Well, I mean, you, you can't be thrown around terms like crimes against... Oh, uh, sorry, sorry, yeah. Maybe I was being a bit hyperbolic, but just absolutely insane woman. Just All right, well, well let's, let's, let's get into it because you, you, you've researched uh, or you've, you've probably got a stronger opinion on Jacinda Ardern than I do because... Um, I probably you, don't. <laughs> no, I think you do because, because you, you really oppose... Um, some of the things she said and and her her kind of approach to COVID, um, you know more about it than me. So can you can you bring up one example, one like case study, and let's talk about it related to Jacinda Ardern. Right. Can so for me, the specific thing which really you know made me made my blood boil was a famous interview where you know during right now we've said the word vaccine and, and COVID. I don't. I won't risk it on YouTube because it'll probably get a strike. So now this whole episode is gonna have to be on fucking Spotify for fuck's sake. But um, because YouTube, oh, you can't have discussion. It doesn't matter if you're a scientist, a doctor, an epidemiologist. It doesn't matter who you are. You're cr- right, credentialed. You're going off topic a bit. Uh, yeah, 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 right, right, yeah. Um, so pretty much she was in an interview, and the interview asked her. So, so basically, are you saying that like the unvaccinated aren't gonna have rights? Um if you're unvaccinated you don't have the same rights as the vaccinated and you're like a second class citizen and she was like yes that's exactly what's going to happen we're going to take away the unvaccinated rights so they're like and she was pretty much saying just in the most casual 
yeah, yeah, we're just going to take away their rights. They're second-class citizens. They don't have the same rights. They don't have the same privilege. We're going to make them live worse because they haven't chose to have a medical procedure. And the the casual way just shouted alarm bells. And the other day, I was... um, uh, Who was it? Dan Wooden, funny enough, <laughs> retweeted, <laughs> retweeted um, a tweet. And it was a video of... Maybe I'll play this because it it was just abhorrent of a video of all these fucking cunts the past two years who were saying like we there was this one woman oh, she said right if you have a heart attack and you're unvaccinated you shouldn't be able to go to the hospital there were people saying well you got a choice just just don't uh participate in society just the most brain dead fucking morons on the planet i'm absolutely furious when i saw this video and it reminded me of how fucking crazy the past two years has been and how we must never ever forget these fucking cunts who said all these things the past two years right um and i haven't really got a concluded point here but my overall consensus is just Last time we spoke, right, it was the 1st of January, 40 weeks ago. And (coughs) it's important not to forget, not to forget those people. Because it's easy for those people to slide um, back in with with their old, absolutely fascist views and act like, oh, we're great, we're great, we'll protect you, we'll help you and whatever. But when shit hits the fan, those people want to strip your rights away. And they could be doing it because they think they're doing a good thing. But irrelevant. I don't care if you think you're doing a good thing. You're taking our fucking rights away. You're fucking piece of shit. Right. Was a lot to get your teeth into there. Um, I mean, yeah. Maybe this. Maybe this. This will probably come across as like a really bad joke, but I felt like you were quoting Keir Starmer from his conference speech because you were like, "Don't forgive." Don't forget. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he said as well. Um, all right. So that just in the Arden interview, um, I think I did see that clip briefly once. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, I think something did go terribly wrong in the COVID debates. Um there was no space for discussion. There was no space for dissent. Um, there was a prevailing orthodoxy. And if you went against that, you were an enemy of society. And um, you, I, I, I think when, when you have made arguments to me in the past, what I've been most convinced by is when you've sort of um, mentioned how casual people seem to be about their rights being stripped away. Mm. Now, when it comes to like the UK, I never felt like um, rights were being permanently stripped away. I felt like it was an exceptional situation. Um, I felt like, you know, pandemic politics can't be measured against normal politics. Um, but nonetheless, like, there's something to be said for being very vigilant when uh, the state is, uh, you know, curtailing your rights and freedoms and and being very mm, cautious with with going along with that um but pia the i'm sorry to interrupt i hate interrupting but like i hate interrupting i'm gonna interrupt <laughs> let's go <laughs> but like 
like I heard this from quite a few people, and I appreciate the viewpoint. However, if you're not taking action right now, you don't believe in any action ever. Because when people are being forced to take a a product done by like these massive multinational corporations and forced upon people, and you're not the one speaking up, you you can't back away and say you think it's important. Right, that's good. You think it's important, yeah. but yeah. are you are you seriously gonna? You need to have action because people like it's all. Uh, it's 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 one of those yeah, things. Action, yeah. action speak louder than words. Yeah. Um. Okay. I mean, th- this is why it's hard for me to have these conversations with you because you're you're so invested in COVID politics that like you you know the nitty gritty of it, where it's like I'm. I, I, I sort of know about COVID politics through you, but I don't hear about COVID politics from anyone else I know. No one else I know really talks about it ever. So it's like, whenever I talk to you, I feel like I'm, I'm opening like a Pandora's box of, uh, of, of completely different political perspective. Um, uh, you know, I guess on a superficial level, no one's being forced to take the vaccine. I've always opposed you know, mandatory vaccines when, when, um, when there, you know, it, there was a point where it was going to become compulsory in Germany. I remember that point because I was living in Germany at the time and I, I was against that in, in spirit. Right. Maybe I didn't get involved in a campaign, but and I you, and express... you still, you complied with the system though, didn't you? I mean, I'm vaccinated. Yeah. yeah. But like, as and in, I, and what was your reasons for that? Was that, what was my reasons to get vaccinated? Um, I think one of the differences between us is uh, something I'll call epistemic deference. Like, I mean, and you you could come back at me and say, well, you know, Dr. XYZ from Oxford, you know, or look at all these credentials. <laughs> but like, for me, when, when sort of all, all of the voices that I trust, family, you know, uh, social circle, uh, what I see on the news, what I hear from political commentators, um, what I read from journalists that I trust, when, when all of that is saying a certain thing, i.e. get vaccinated, you know, I don't, I, like, I, I go with it. I go with it because I think it's, I think I should get vaccinated. I think it, this is like, the proper thing to do. I mean, that's not to say that I just swallow what these people say and, and just don't think about it. What, I guess. What about if? I think if about it, yeah. What about oh, if? No, oh, no, don't bring in uh, an extreme example. No, 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 no. I'm not being an extreme example. I'm saying, what about if the people who were pushing that and saying get vaccinated on TV everywhere, one of the top people came out and said, like all the time later, actually. Do not take the vaccine. It should be paused right now. This very disturbing safe signals. The same person who was on TV countering vaccine hesitancy now saying, don't take the vaccine. Then what? That's a good comeback. Um, so you're, you're referencing, you know, the, the attempts to get, get a vaccine slowdown for like children. No, 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 not, not a slow, not a slowdown, but, Asim Mahotra recently said this must be stopped for everyone. Not for children, not for young people, everyone. Full stop. 
But yeah. Asim Mahotra is one guy. It's one guy. I one mean, guy who was one of the first people to take the vaccine was on TV, Good Morning Britain, BBC News, everywhere, saying to, for people to take the vaccine because he's extremely established, right? Labelled in Sunday Times as one of the most influential people in evidence-based medicine. <clears throat> sells out theatres around the UK preaching about medicine. He was promoting it all the time. He took the vaccine. He took to himself, told everyone to take it. Now, because he's a cardiologist and in the cardiologist community, Pfizer whistleblowers, he's now come out and said, this is insane. The safe signals are alarming. We must stop this right now. Because because too many people are reporting adverse reactions? Yeah, or... yeah. So p- too many people are reporting adverse reactions in the UK, America, the excess death, more people are dying now um, in many age groups than the peak of COVID. There's been a drastic rise in cardiac arrests. There's been like over a million reports of adverse reactions in the uk there's been like 1.6 million um serious adverse reactions in america i believe there's been like 50,000 cases of myocarditis bearing in mind there was none before denmark have stopped the vaccine for under 50s sweden just came out and said don't take the vaccine if you're under 17 florida says do not take the vaccine if you're under 18 well, i mean that's no surprise i want freedom love florida but the, mm. yeah but the point is like you're saying oh trust in authority well what if the authority goes oh wait actually no don't don't take the vaccine then what yeah, I mean, I suppose that that Denmark example is quite quite a compelling example. If they're saying no one under fifty should take the vaccine, I mean, that's and it's not just that the health authorities apologised, right? According to Dr. Ross Jones from Heart Group and Dr. Claire Craig, they apologised for ever recommending it because they read the wrong data. Sorry, I'm just having a little look-see. Okay, here we go. I'm seeing a fact-check headline. Some social media users have shared an article with a misleading headline, this is from Reuters, that claims Denmark has banned the COVID vaccine for children. It is true Denmark has decided not to offer a primary COVID vaccine to children aged between 5 and 17, but it has not introduced an outright ban. Oh, well, oh, great. That's a great way of saying debunked. And then, oh, wait, it's actually true. It's just certain age groups which are extreme risk. They do happen to... Rec- oh, God. That is classic, that is. <laughs> no, no, no. But I'm not going to allow you to tarnish Reuters now, you know, and... and direct everyone towards infowars you know oh, which is, is a, is a, right okay right right go to go to heart group website right anyone who's listening if you want real academics experts scientists um professors go to heart group uk health advisory group and they they reference everything very credible place dr claire craig dr ross jones like great doctors also dr david carlin and they 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 actually have countering things to what the government says and been calling everything out right from the beginning okay i mean i guess let's not get lost in searching up articles over this podcast otherwise we'll just do that the whole time (laughs) yeah i mean you've definitely got more knowledge in this space than me i just again like 
because I don't hear of this stuff from anyone except for you, because I'm so far away from the world which cares about this sort of thing. Like, to me, this seems like, isn't this fight over? Like, why, why are we still talking about this? Like, why don't we talk about Ukraine? Why don't we talk about cost of living crisis? I mean, yeah. I, I get it, though. Mm. I get it. It's all interconnected. Yeah. And also, if people are dying and having cardiac arrest, then, you know, it's not... I think that's more important than cost of living, people dying and having heart attacks. But anyway, yeah, let's go <laughs> go on to Ukraine situation. So, for anyone who doesn't know who's been living under an absolute rock, um, a lot of shit's been going down, for sure, in putin and what's going on so yeah i guess you want to start your take on the situation yeah okay um right so yeah let, let's establish some basics so from from what i've heard from what i've read putin believes that ukraine is part of russia putin believes that um Ukraine has never really been its own state and that uh, it's kind of part of the historic uh, Russian states, uh, which formed originally from what was called the Kievan Rus. Um, and as such, he's prepared to do anything to um, unite Russia with its with what it considers to be its property. Um, uh, so Putin's initial kind of shtick was that this was a special military operation. He was, um, like, maybe he's still saying that. And he, uh, you know, he, he made up that like, uh, you know, there was a kind of genocide going on against Russian speaking people in Ukraine from um, Ukrainian Nazis Interestingly, on that point, um, I've been hearing more recently about how uh, Russians, for, for Russia, it's really, really important um, the way they think about the Second World War. Um, you know, in, in Russia every year, and I actually saw this parade in Moscow once, uh, you have the parade for the Great Patriotic War, as they call it, which, which is what we call World War II. Um, you know, in the Russian psychology, it was... It was the Red Army, uh, the Soviet forces that defeated uh, Hitler's fascism. And, you know, there's a great deal of accuracy to that. Um, kind of without Russia, I think the Allied forces do actually lose the war. You know, Russia lost 21 million people in World War II. Uh, crazy amount of death and destruction suffered um, by that country. And so so for them, the 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 idea of Russia is that uh, that state that stood up to fascism, that overcame fascism, um, that's quite important to their national psychology. So Putin played into that. He said that, you know, Russian speakers, uh, there's genocide going on against Russian speakers in Ukraine. So we're, that's why we're going in. And actually, uh, Ukraine took Russia to the International Court of Justice because Russia made this claim. Because, you, you know, in international law and in international politics, you can't just accuse a, a country of um, committing genocide and, you know, be allowed to get away with it. You, you know, you've got to have some pretty good evidence if you're going to accuse someone of a genocide or crime against humanity. And so Ukraine took Russia to the ICJ 
but the but um which is where I work but um uh Russia never showed up they never showed up to the trial um cuz they had they had no case and even even some of the lawyers who have been defending Russia um even even after they annexed Crimea those lawyers have now uh decided they're not going to defend Russia anymore these are like high profile international lawyers and they've said we're done with Russia. <laughs> we're no longer. We're no longer going to support them. Um, so, so this, there's, there's so much to discuss here. So I don't want to get too lost. So Putin goes in. He said we're going to try and stop this genocide. Now, from what, from what, again, from I always say this, but from what I've heard, because who knows, like what actually is the truth. But from what I've heard, Putin's initial thinking or the Russian strategic thinking was that they could take Ukraine quite easily. They thought that. Um, more people would be willing to kind of greet the Russians as like returning sort of heroes, you know, uniting with the fatherland. Um, it was expected that Kiev would fall. Uh, it was expected that um, Zelensky would flee. And uh, Putin's aim was to install a puppet regime um, uh, and kind of, you know, rule Ukraine by proxy. Um but this isn't how it worked out, you know. Um, firstly, the Ukrainian national solidarity was a lot stronger than was expected. Um, Anti-Russian hostility was really, really strong and has been ever since, at, at least since the annexation of Crimea, if not if not before that. Um, I mean, U Ukraine and Russia have a complicated history. Um, so certainly before that. But um, yeah, so Ukrainian national solidarity was stronger than was expected. Uh, Zelensky did not flee, he stayed. Um, the The Ukrainian military was kind of better organized, I think, than, than was expected and had better strategy. But of course, the other role, which maybe we'll get into, was that like uh, NATO and, and the Western forces um, really, really came together uh, to support Ukraine with massive arms uh, deliveries um, from day one, you know, especially vocal, I think, US, UK, um, you know, France, Germany announced a, a unprecedented military investment that we haven't seen since the Second World War. Um, so there was a there was a there was a real coalition coming back together in support of um, Ukraine. NATO went from being what Macron had called a brain dead organization to now being kind of an essential part of Ukraine's resistance, um, and and so um, various things happened from then. You know, Russia uh, had to retreat from Kiev and from uh, the kind of north west of Ukraine. If I, I feel like I'm getting the geography wrong, but the, yeah, it had to retreat from Kiev and the surrounding areas, and it decided to focus its attention on the Donbas area. Uh, which includes, you know, uh, I hope I hope this is right. It includes like Luhansk and Zaporizhia and um, um, yeah, so two other countries. I'm um, two other cities that kind of fail me. Um, decided to focus its attention here because you already had kind of Russian uh, separatist movements most of them Russian paramilitaries, but some Ukrainian pro-Russian sentiment in these areas as well. 
Um, but then, uh, I guess it was a month ago or a few weeks ago, there was a big uh, push from the Ukrainian uh, military and they, they reclaimed, uh, I think it was 2,000 kilometers of territory. Um, and it, it really, really, it was, you know, it's one of those days where Ukraine, it, it won the battle. It hasn't won the war, but it won the battle. And um, this was a big shock uh, for Russia. It exposed Russia's weaknesses. Um, and, you know, Putin was facing heat back at home. People were criticizing the, the policy. Uh, you know, you had hardliners saying we've got to go much harder in Ukraine. Plus, you had uh, protesters in places like Dagestan, which is a separatist region in Russia, um, you know, so you had protests cropping up all over Russia. So, so Putin at this point, he was like, fuck, got to do something. So he introduced a partial military draft to get um, reserve military forces um, in, I think 300,000 reservists in Russia um, <clears throat> have now been drafted. But the way they've carried out the draft, I think, actually, they've also uh conscripted you know people who weren't even in the reservist army um and you know this has led to some protests because because the, because the russian propaganda mach machine made it seem like uh the war was going great and it was just a special military operation anyway so why would you need so many soldiers if it's just a little operation but that that kind of facade i think is starting to fade away in russia and now the reality of um the challenge that Russia faces is facing uh, the Russian people, leading them to, um, you know, revolt a bit. No, but I say a bit because I don't think, uh, I, I think the majority of Russians are still <clears throat> in favor of the war. Now, I know that uh, there have been reports of, uh, you know, Russians trying to leave Russia to avoid the draft and, you know, flee to Latvia, Estonia, um, uh, Poland. Um, and I was at a conference the other day and, and they were talking about like, if Russians are coming to the EU, how is the EU going to integrate Russian refugees who are fleeing like military conscription with Ukrainian refugees? How, how do you do that? Like, how can they coexist in a, in an EU country? So, um, this is, this is kind of where we are now. That, I mean, there's other stuff like Russia committed war crimes in, in Bucha. Um, you know, there's mounting evidence of that, that, you know, Putin is going to be hopefully one day brought before the International Criminal Court and made to answer for his crimes. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll leave it there for, for now. <laughs> Well, I mean, you went a lot into uh, what was what was actually going on, which is definitely good. Give people a lot of information what's actually kind of happening because it's it's difficult to know because obviously you got people here saying things and you don't know how true it is because everyone wants to support Ukraine. Then you got the Russian. Oh, I just forgot there. one thing. Can I just mention one right. thing? Yeah. Just uh, sorry, I hate to interrupt. <laughs> the the one thing I want to mention um, is the annexation that took place. So had uh sham referendums um like 99 percent yeah 99 percent uh in in these donbass uh cities uh or or territories supporting joining russia 
but you know the reports coming out with that people uh when you were voting you know there were people with guns next to you uh you you had to vote a certain way or or you you know you're worried that you're going to get shot or someone's going to come to your house you know these are not <laughs> uh certifiable referendums russia uh, the other day had a kind of um you know signing ceremony where these these uh, territories were officially signed into um, uh, to be part of Russia, and it was such a dystopian image, you know. Uh, got that. Putin, <laughs> yeah, they were all doing this, like they all they all <laughs> gathered hands and they were all doing this. It was just, it was just such a sick image. Um, anyway, the thinking now on Russia's part is that, like, uh, if um, well. The, the the attacks that Ukraine will now do on these territories, Russia can like justify to its own citizens and maybe to the world that like this is Russia, so they're attacking Russia, so we can we can defend more strongly. Um, but of course, it's it's a it's a sham. Uh, Ukraine actually, the the last thing and the latest thing is that they retook uh, a very important uh, town called. Uh, Lyman or Lumen. Um, let me just double check. Ukraine takes town. Uh, yeah, it's called Lyman. Um, that that happened like yesterday, and that that was a, another sort of victory for Ukraine. Um, so yeah, just sort of mention that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I don't think it even was maybe a actual election. I think. Because even people being scared, I doubt it would have been as high as ninety nine percent. That's ridiculous. So I, I think it was just the whole thing was rigged. I think. Um, but you know, there's there's a lot of what's actually happening. There's a lot of debate on you know, of what Putin has actually said. And just to break it down, got a nice little chart here of uh, where the military aid has come to from um, January twenty fourth to August third, basically where it's come from. So. The U.S. has donated 25 billion, or pledged to at least, um, to <clears> Ukraine. <throat> we have put four billion, and we're supposedly supposed to put, I think, 2.5 more billion under this trust. Poland, 1.8 billion. Germany, 1.2. Canada, um, n- like 900 million, and then like you've got France and stuff, but it's a lot less. Um, just a bit of context where kind of the funding for a lot of it has been happening. And that is a debate within itself because. My big concern, and I, I saw a lot today actually on it. I listened to Unheard, if anyone li- knows Unheard from the good old COVID dystopian insane war days. Um, Unheard's a very credible place, always very thorough, very balanced, always good insight, good news. If you want to find a place which is edgy and does stories which not other people are afraid to do, but very credible and extremely factual, check out Unheard website or their YouTube channel. Really great place. Um, and they done a fascinating piece on the neo-Nazi battalion in, um, in Ukraine and the growing movement of Nazis in Ukraine. And this is something where when the whole situation started, I thought this is just Russian propaganda. And then I looked more into it. And I remembered I watched documentaries about the far right before this whole situation um, a while back. And I realized there is a subset of the uh, Ukrainian army that are 
like official neo-Nazis and white nationalists that are officially integrated into the Ukrainian army. Now, this doesn't mean that what Putin said is justified at all. Even if it was the case, it wouldn't be justified to, you know, go and colonize a place or whatever. Like, it, it's not justification for the invasion. However, it should it should also be called out. But there's this weird thing which has happened where since the <clears> war, <throat> all of the outlets that has talked about the neo-Nazi battalion, specifically the Azov battalion, in the Ukrainian army have now completely gone silent. So BBC Radio 4 actually done a piece where they actually said on the radio, the claims of uh, neo-Nazis in the Ukrainian army is completely debunked and not true at all. And that's just complete bollocks because we know that's the case. And there's actually a famous photo of a, if, if some UN worker, I, I can't remember who it is, uh, giving a gun to like a neo-nazi and there is an ethical question which i'm becoming more and more disturbed about the more information i'm reading the more i'm hearing about countries in the uk we're sending billions and billions in guns missiles to ukraine and while a majority won't be arming neo-nazis some will be for sure and there's and this isn't this is another thing i found out today which i found absolutely fascinating there's a for anyone who doesn't know about the neo-Nazi white nationalist movement in the world, there's a coalition going on of these movements. So what you actually have right now, you have uh, Russian neo-Nazis in Ukraine actually fighting Russian sol soldiers because Ukrainian neo-Nazis are being armed to the teeth and neo-Nazis of Russia are actually thinking that Putin's too left-wing, so they're actually joining forces with the Azov Battalion to fight Russians, which is a very um, like fascinating thing. I actually got the note on where the specific place this was, this is actually happening. It's in Mariupol, um, and it's a it's a very interesting um, thing that is like going on, um, and. It's it's a big ethical question, you know. We are sending guns and ammo to Ukraine. And let's say, right, the, and this is another fascinating analysis I heard. Let's say that, like, um, you know, Putin fully owns the places he annexed. I mean, technically he would or whatever, illegally. But let's say he's consolidated a good piece of land in Ukraine. No, legally, he doesn't. No, well, well let's say hypothetically he's, he illegally owns a bunch of land. It's very consolidated. And it's like half and half almost. And they've almost reached the peace agreement. The Ukrainian government will be very disfractured because it'll be like, you know, the whole place will be in travesty. And the people who will be armed to the teeth and very dominant has been reported that the Azov Battalion has been incredible at killing Russians. Who is going to be the dominant force in taking power? Realistically, it will be the fighters which have been amazing for the Ukrainian... How do you... Okay, how... You've probably got a good comeback for this, but how do you square this position of yours where it's like some of the money or weapons that um, the West is giving might be going to some neo-Nazis? How do you square that position with the fact that um, actual neo-Nazis access weaponry in the US because of the liberal gun laws? Like, how do you... How do you think about that? Right, that's a very good point. Um, and the way I square that is everyone's armed to the teeth. So it's not 
like guns in america aren't political i know people think that guns is a right-wing thing but you'd actually be surprised the socialist rifle association which is big organization socialist is it big big? well i've heard it's big (laughs) socialists are actually quite well known um for actually being quite like well known for owning guns so that's why there's groups like the boogaloo boys which everyone wants to label white nationalists don't believe the lies complete bollocks um if you actually follow the boogaloos what they're about their philosophy their values the leader their people who yeah, are f- look just the boogaloo boys it's not um a centralized movement i mean it's, yeah. a, it's a decentralized yeah, movement true, so true. some some aspects of the boogaloo boys uh certainly you know um have white nationalist uh, thuggish, thuggish, tiny, thuggish elements. Tiny. Do you know? Do you know all? Right. I'll give other, an example. Other, other elements right. are are more liberal. You know, towards way you know, more liberal. matter and stuff um, like that. But, and but also the the methods that Boogaloo Boys use. You know, we're talking about covert sort of um, terrorist like right. actions that they so completely they disagree. They like if. They're not for violence, they're for resistance. So if there's a protest, they will be there to protect the protest. During COVID, they were there to protect. There are a line of resistance, constitutional carrying, protecting citizens, defending people's rights, believing no matter what skin colour, no matter what political faction you are. And you know the biggest way to to see actually how how much nonsense was spanned by the media on the Boogaloo Boys? It's it's actually, if you follow other groups which are actually extreme, you know, Oath Keepers, Proud Boys, um, Free Percenters, all these other groups, they a lot of them actually hate the pra- Boogaloo Boys and they actually constantly criticise them because you've got the Boogaloo Boys which are like pro-gun and all pro-freedom but they're actually pro-freedom and you have the pro-freedom organizations like the free percenters which want to do a coup and they're getting annoyed because they're actually fake fake freedom people and the boogaloo boys are actually like real so then they actually get angry at them and if you actually follow the scene it's actually you realize and peter actually got taught about the boogaloo boys and from what i gather a lot of the stuff you got taught was just complete bollocks wasn't it uh no i'm not gonna admit that it was complete bollocks uh we just have different perspectives i mean we were um we looked at the boogaloo boys as you know a kind of part of the sort of set of you know right-wing extremist organizations in the u.s um but you know we we were taught about the the diversity of opinion that exists within the boogaloo boy kind of movement but um, we were taught about how they can kind of cynically manipulate uh, protests. They can they can turn up to, and they're kind of seeking um, exposure for their organisation, um, for their beliefs, and that, that, like it's in their interest to uh, sort of inflame a situation in a Black Lives Matter protest because um, they can kind of uh, yeah increase the attention that they get as a result. Yeah, that's. I guess that is a valid argument, but that the Boogaloo Boys is, they're li- they're real libertarians. They don't care. They're not tribal. They're not left right. They're libert. They're liberty minded individuals, and they're actually liberty minded individuals. But people can't understand liberty because it's been hijacked by far right people and far left people. So people can't, like, when there's a legitimate freedom cause, people can't comprehend it because so many people abuse that all the time. All right. Well, get into that right. then. 
so, so people can't understand liberty when it's slapping them in the face like, so what do you mean by that? because people constantly hijack the word liberty so a good example is marjorie taylor green in america if you're listening she's like a blonde-haired republican absolute loony i'm not a fan of her at all she talks is she, is she queuing on yeah, yeah, that one. Um, she's she talks about you know freedom. We need freedom, but then at the same time, we'll like if someone criticizes her, she'll try suing them, or like, you know, she'll want to clamp down on certain speech of left wing speech, or like she'll defend like January six and then talk about freedom, or like she's she she wants to like ban contraceptive. I'm pretty sure she wants to ban gay marriage. Um, but talks about freedom. I think she wants to ban mm. weed. Talks about freedom. Wants to ban abortion. Just on that, on that, on that. We've, we've got, we've got to touch on this. These are all fascinating things. Did you see? Um, what we're understand this? Oh. oh no, no, no. Oh. This is bringing it back to UK politics, oh, getting shit. you out of your little Florida bubble for once. Um, uh, there was a group of uh, conservative police and crime commissioners who want to turn cannabis into a class A drug. In the Fuck. UK. No you way. See that? Yeah, I don't yeah, see yeah. that. God, I've got to do yeah, a podcast um, so like get the weed up. Because <laughs> they come so, up for smoke. I, I mean, I I imagine, I don't imagine that would get through Parliament. I think it would fall down. But because trust is sort of within the UK politics sort of uh, ideological spectrum, she, she's pretty extreme. I mean, uh, right wing with her economics and... Um, kind of willing to try new ideas you know i i think she'd be up she'd be kind of interested in in something like this potentially oh, um um so anyway it's just it's interesting that on the uk political agenda like it doesn't seem like we're moving closer to decriminalization which i support we're actually moving closer to you know deeper criminalization so of fucking cannabis. stupid it is what is the stupidest 36,000 people die a year from uh weed related deaths 2.4 million die from alcohol get the yeah. fuck out here saying oh oh weed well messes up your brain oh yeah you fucking die like drinking out oh it's just the most brain dead thing yeah, yeah. you can smoke cancer and you can't drink I mean, no, sorry, smoke. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, right. Anyway, back to the Ukraine situation. Okay, though, right? uh, let's just ho- just just. Right. Okay, I, right. I I don't want to get too lost on these side issues, but I just want to uh, on on the cannabis point. I I used to think a bit more like I I used to be too individual in my thinking on cannabis. I, I would think like, well, it used to make me a bit anxious. Um, I know they're you know. There sometimes is a link between weed consumption and schizophrenia. Like, why should we decriminalize this? Uh, but when you bring in the alcohol example, and when you bring in the kind of uh, benefits that um, decriminalization would have in terms of like safe supply, in terms of tax revenue, and when you look at case studies um, of, of nations that have actually tried a more humane approach to, to drugs, it just seems like drug decriminalization is just the obvious thing to do. It's, it's very obvious. It's, it's clearly the right way to go. It's not even really a debate. It's just, it's just uh, the, the way things worked out historically has led us to this point where like alcohol is, you know, it, it's, it's difficult to not drink, right? Mm. Like that, that's how society is. It's actually hard to not drink. 
but that's just a, an historical accident. It could have been the other way around. It could have been hard to not be a be a pothead. Yeah. <laughs> so we just this is just where we are. But let's let's get back to Ukraine. Like, so I, I got to have one last response on that. Like even when people hint about schizophrenia of weed, that's that's true. But people literally have their boys bodies poisoned and feel like throwing up the next day on a regular basis. I know people who go out every week, three times a week will throw up the next day and rinse and repeat. That's like, you know, accepted, but the potential for an increased chance in schizophrenia, and that's an argument, right, it's just so stupid. Yeah, right, anyway, back to Ukraine situation. Um, I, I want to also, I want to read a um, thing from Unheard from what Putin recently said, right? So what Putin recently said, he declared that Russia was prepared to use all the tools at its disposal in order to defend its t- territory integrity, emphasizing that such declarations should not be seen as a bluff. He said, this is not a bluff, Putin said. And those who try to blackmail us with nuclear weapons should know that we we vain oh gee i can't even read the word we're we're with we're vain we're vain spell it uh w-e-a-t-h-e-r-v-a-n-e weather vein the french you know what weather vein is it's like uh do you know do you know the the cinema company pathé no <laughs> um Okay, well, a weather vane, you know, you put it on top of a house, it's normally like a cockerel, and when the wind blows, oh, right. yeah, it, yeah, it yeah, moves. Oh, right, yeah, 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 yeah. in films all the time. I think Chicken Run has one of them. Um, and weather vane can turn and point towards them. So what he's pretty much yeah. saying is, we're not afraid to use nuclear like weapons. This is not a bluff. And recently, he actually had a submarine, which has actually, I think, been launched in the ocean, which creates nuclear waves which would be the biggest tsunami in history that can wipe a sea underwater and radioactive like a area um so just and people want to downplay this be like oh well he's bluffing i don't even if he is bluffing like but do do people want to downplay have you seen people downplay yeah i've i've seen people say like oh well we need to keep on supporting ukraine and it's like okay, but that, that's not the same. Should... As, that's not no. That's not the same as people saying he's he's bluffing. What? No, but surely no, I I think I think the right. West needs to keep supporting Ukraine. But so, I don't hang think on, hang on, hang on, hang on. So Putin just Putin just threatened right to use nuclear weapons. He just sent a submarine out. He's done all these things. The Poland's sending out radioactive pills or something, preparing like it's gone absolutely nuts. If Putin says this is not a bluff. And we don't even like try and de-escalate things, and we carry on funding this war. How the hell can we not expect nuclear war to come? We are walking I mean, into the abyss. I think you're saying we're not even trying to de-escalate the war. I think uh, I don't know much about the peacemaking efforts that are going on. I know that like Turkey has played quite an important role in uh, brokering some sort of negotiation between Ukraine and Russia in terms of the food blockade that was going on because Ukraine uh Ukrainian grain was was being stored uh in oh what's it called southern Ukraine oh what's it called okay I've got Odessa that's it yeah 
in the port of Odessa. And, and Ukrainian, Ukraine is one of the breadbaskets of the world. It's one of the five breadbaskets. Um, uh, so, so Turkey managed to negotiate, you know, an agreement between uh, Russia and Ukraine to allow the ships safe passage, which, uh, which was very good because, um, you know, parts of Africa are uh, in serious famine situations right now, like Ethiopia lockdown. in particular. Cost of lockdown. Huh? Cost of lockdown Cost crisis. Of the UN said yeah. it. Mi- hundreds of millions are pushed to the brink because of lockdown. Unfucking believable. Yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah. Lockdown undoubtedly has has played a um a massive role in in you know geopolitics, economics, um uh you know and and what and what do we have now? More people dying than at the peak of COVID. Well, great. It definitely yeah, okay. worked. Definitely Look, worked. I was, all right, I'm just trying. I'm trying to make the point. All right, sorry, um, yeah, sorry. Trying to make the point that um, peacemaking efforts are going on. I I don't know that much about them, uh, but like, it's it's not it's not like you've got you know the West is just sitting there like chucking all its money into this massive bin called Ukraine. You know, like they're they're sending strategic arms. Um, they're supporting the Ukrainian war effort, rightly so, but they're also, you know, they're very clever people working to um, make sure that, uh, you know, the war doesn't go on any longer than it has to. But, like, the reality is, um, if if the West doesn't support Ukraine, uh, despite the valiance of the Ukrainian army and the Ukrainian spirit, but, yeah, no, okay, the point, the point I was making is that if the West no longer um, supports Ukraine. Ukraine falls to Russia. That sends a signal to, um, you know, the likes of uh, Transnistria in Moldova, the likes of Georgia, um, the likes of uh, Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, NATO countries that, like, they're next. Um, you know, there's there's an escalation. Putin, Putin doesn't stop there, you know, like... Putin said that the um, the end of the Soviet Union was the greatest tragedy of the 20th century. Um, and he said that because for him, it was the collapse of the Russian Empire and it was Russia becoming an embarrassment. Um, so he, he wants to kind of restore Russian pride. And that means taking Ukraine and, and, it, and it, it won't stop there. You know, he'll, he'll use the same playbook of kind of uh, using Russian diasporas um, to to uh, communicate to his own population that these are Russian people that are being persecuted. We need to go in and protect them. There's there's a playbook that he uses. So I guess my point to you is that he, uh, if the West did give in to Putin, uh, Putin would not be satisfied. Putin would continue to be an evil dictator. Putin would continue to, you know, um, clamp down on LGBT rights, uh, clamp down on free speech and all the values that you claim to believe in. And, um, you know, there's no victory there. Um, if, if, if the West gives in um, to Putin because of fear of nuclear attack, then the West will just have to keep giving in because Putin can always make the same threats again and again. But let's... You know? let's... Let's flip on its head, though. So you've, I, I agree with almost everything you said there, but my point is, 
One, we are funding a war against Putin. So this is something which I never really understood from the beginning. When I started hearing about um, packages going over to Ukraine, I thought, wait, wait, we're sending guns to Ukraine for them to fight, but that doesn't mean we're in a war. So that's that from the beginning, that baff- that baffled me a bit. Now, I I've love Ukraine. I love the Ukrainian nationalism, the whole... Um, pride of ukraine i love the the famous protest the uprising i thought it was absolutely incredible the way they fought their way um i mean it was a bit dodgy how they overthrew the government and that but the way kind of the people of ukraine rallied together in just an absolutely incredible fight however putin is a madman right and this is a big thing people say putin's a madman putin's a madman they say what's he doing he's an absolute madman he doesn't care and then when he says this is not a bluff we will use nuclear weapons all of a sudden people say they, they don't take that serious and putin has said for so long now that he takes people arming and sending guns as an like an act of war pretty much and at what point is putin saying we're gonna use nuclear weapons enough because what i think is going to happen and i actually said this and you can track this back to episode i've done the uh, episode on as soon as the ukraine situation began as soon as it began i interviewed a ukrainian girl share if you if you're listening um and i talked about it and i said i think that he is going to nuke like ukraine this is right at the beginning and we've got to this stage where we are on the precipice of him doing that and when he actually does do that because i i just think he will i think putin is backed into a corner he we're funding the whole war there's not a way out for him like and it seems like you're just you're i don't know i don't like the way you frame that because you made it seem like oh look at me i I recorded this interview just at the right time and i made this crazy prediction right, yeah. oh it looks right, like yeah, i'm yeah. gonna be right now yeah right yeah good like, point good point now my point is um like i don't think people understand the magnitude of the situation and you say people do but i think if we did we like the first thing would be let's de-escalate we need to de-escalate this this man just fucking said this is not a what is the, what is the de-escalate the, the, like, there's no de-escalation there's just giving in what, but, but i know but the thing is i at this point, when someone has nukes, like, sh- I think what, sh- like, there should just be some massive handout to Putin to be, we need to negotiate a deal. Like, I know there's kind of been, like, there's been talks before and, like, Zelensky's done some stuff, but there needs to be kind of a line in the sand saying, we need to seriously have a chat because if Putin does nuke um Ukraine, the chances are, my prediction is, and I heard this from Timothy Poole, <laughs> shout out. he said that um, no one will do anything. No one will nuke Russia because why would a government, a guy, Joe Biden, whatever, Liz Trust, whatever the fuck, say I'm going to now kill a bunch more people and then trigger World War Three? So, and and if we push and push and push. Putin will eventually use the nuke and then once he uses it and no one does anything, because I don't think anyone would do anything if he did that. Um, Just because Tim Pool said so. No, because I think it's an absolutely brilliant point. Why would an individual decide, let me kill a bunch of people and and kill even more people? No, but I I mean, look, I've, I've only heard one thing on this and I, 
I told you yesterday about what David Petraeus said, which is that, you know, America would wipe out the Russian Navy, it would wipe out the Russian military presence in Ukraine using nukes, <laughs> or, or, or not even using nukes, maybe they would just bomb, maybe they would just directly bomb them out of Ukraine, bomb their fleet to shit. That would be the response to a nuke. And then they would just That's... nuke the US. Um, well, maybe they would. I mean, they definitely would. There's no way Putin would be like, "Hey, God, you just bomb all our ships, and we won't nuke." Yeah, you. but I don't know how. I don't know how it works. I don't know, like, if there's is there is there counter nuke technology? Like, can you like intercept a nuclear missile as it's heading for your country? Can you I, do that? I mean, there's there's got to be. I'm sure that loads of go- like governments have thought about that. I know that like maybe it's in the 90s they had like they were trying to develop satellites to deactivate a nuke from above. I know that was a big thing. I don't know if that's progressed in its technology, but a big thing is with nukes, I think, we only know what happened ages ago. So whatever we know, it's miles ahead of what we can even comprehend because it's been so long. Unless it's stagnated like space, but I I reckon it's far, far more complex than we think. And also I think there's a good chance that um, Putin has a de-radioactive de- nuke so he can nuke kill like almost everyone in ukraine and then just move in without you know radioactive um radiation problems i think there's a very good chance that's the case because what pia at what point do we like it's it's interesting because it's like it's like when it comes to like inside liberal democracies right Mm. your your politics is very much like balls to the wall you know i'm defending my rights you know fuck the state uh, like, fuck fascism yeah. when it comes when it comes to international politics suddenly you you've adopted this very sort of centrist let's let's get around the table let's have a big chat wait approach. no 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 let me stop you instead of just, instead uh, of actually yeah. taking the liberty angle which is don't know fight, hang on like the oppressor but Bo- right that's bollocks because again i'm a libertarian and the core tenets of libertarians is personal sovereignty of a country and an individual libertarians are the most anti-war activists on the planet dave smith listen to dave smith on rogan does a fantastic analysis of the ukraine situation love a dave smith he's been on rogan loads they're great mates go check that out now um and he talks about the situation and how like anti-war activists have now had their like ukrainian flags and they're not almost and i appreciate it's not the same as like a standard afghanistan where it's completely corrupt um like it is a, this is somewhat a justified like retaliation like against um forces and like uh, like killing yeah, russians justified. is is justified. justified um however the libertarian view is de-escalate peace talks and most importantly like if we are triggering world war three should we really be doing that should we really be funding you know ukraine when we're on the precipice of world war three and you can't you can't act like it's not the precipice of World War Three. We are like at what point, unless Putin literally launches a nuke, we cannot get look, closer. Okay, right now. look, I, I I didn't bring this up earlier, but there was there was a point in time where I thought, oh, it seems like India and China are kind of they're not supporting Putin here, but they're like they're not strongly opposing. But their recent uh, public statements, you know, India Prime Minister Modi said on a stage with Putin. This is not the time for war. And uh, China is sort of 
uh, how do I describe it? It's it's just it's being. It's. I feel like it's it's giving Russia the cold shoulder a bit. In, that's in its, probably because they're statements. eyeing up like Taiwan. Like this, I think they sent a missile over Taiwan. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, they they did conduct war games uh, near to Taiwan. Yeah. Uh, but no. Uh, I mean, whatever Russia and in no, whatever China and India's reasons, um, they're not standing shoulder to shoulder with Russia on this. My point is, Russia is increasingly internationally isolated. On this issue and that probably supports your theory in your head that like oh putin's a madman he's, he's just gonna go nuke but um i think it shows that like the pressure uh is working people are seeing that the ukrainian military is strong and that it's kind of winning this war in military terms um to give in now just because you're scared of putin uh, just being a, being just a because i'm scared he fucking said this is not a bluff. How can you downplay that? How no, okay, can I don't, you downplay that? No, no, no. I, I know. I don't mean to downplay <laughs> the the serious threat that um of, of nuclear war. Mm. I I mean to say, um, there's never a good time to give in to a strongman like Putin. True, and true. The, and the legacy of giving in to a strongman like Putin could be worse than um the present circumstance. We find ourselves in like if we give in now we'll keep giving in um going forward you know this this is a moment for uh liberal democracies um for for kind of the liberal democratic alliance to to stand up for something to to stand up for uh the sovereign rights of the sovereign people of ukraine you know to stand up for freedom of speech and free elections um to yeah, to, to kind of uh, stand up for the for the vision of society that we we all sort of try and believe in, even if the practice we don't get there good enough. I, and we've got I big disagree. Issues, I we've just got disagree. big issues in our own society, but still, I think there's there's clear blue uh, uh, water between the society in Russia uh, and that that level of oppression. And what we have here in the West, I, and I think that's, I, I that's disagree. What's I just I can I can disagree. I w- I would disagree before the past two years, but I I've seen, pe- I've seen people just step in line. I've seen people have no no resemblance of any liberal values, no resemblance of personal sovereignty, no resent. People are in a different reality, and it's all well and good now. Covid's over, like, oh, we care about liberal values, freedom of speech, and the right to protest. Well, funny thing, the Guardian, hilarious, their Instagram when people are getting arrested in Russia for protesting. How awful is this? Hmm. Past two years in the fucking UK, cunt. Like, just laughable hypocrisy. I completely did. People don't value freedom of speech at all. I don't get that Guardian point. Um, like how, like they were saying how awful it is that um the Russians are arresting like anti-war protesters, but then like people would get arrested here for protesting, and they were the ones supporting it because they were super spreader events. Just irony. And like, if you go to like a like I'm, I don't go to university, but if you go to university here, people don't share the same values. This is a utopian view that people actually value freedom of expression. What do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean people don't share the same values? So, so you're saying, you're saying, you know, about these liberal values like freedom of speech, things of that nature, right? And like how there is a difference between uh, like liberal countries compared to Russia. Um, 
in in the sense that we believe in like freedom of speech and things like this and espouse those values but i'm saying while that used to be the case i i don't think that is the case right now and the generation coming up specifically my generation don't agree with those values at all it was the young people who step in line the most out of anyone it was it's the young people who say let's arrest you for hate speech it's the young people who like want to put your boot on your neck if you do something wrong if you stand out and say a certain thing so that to act like almost there's a massive <coughs> um there is somewhat a cohesion in what liberal values we stand for is just not true it's a it's a fantasy because you you just cannot say that when like like a good example is america like antifa whatever would go around like attacking people for not wearing a face mask or like people who didn't take the vaccine would be physically attacked and then all of a sudden you know roe v wade happens and people are are screeching about rights there's there's no liberal cohesion i don't think there's very little liberal cohesion the uk is a good example we have gb news which would which interviews eminent scientists eminent people who go against the narrative but then someone who watched bbc news they don't but that's that's two worlds that's two different separate realities that they live in it's people who believe in people's rights and actually having like a say and actually having different opinions and other people who believe that people's rights don't exist and in certain circumstances they should be taken away because i'm sure putin all the time says oh it's an emergency so we're going to take away your rights and people step in line and people want to say oh you're being hyperbolic russia's not the same as here right tell me if you saw the videos the past two years of granny getting beaten people getting dragged for not wearing a mask there's not cohesion in liberal values it's a myth <laughs> well i mean that was passionate delivery from you and very interesting thesis um i'd be i'd be willing to concede that i do become a bit doe-eyed when i talk about liberal democracy and i do um sort of forget the issues that we have in our own society. I think uh, I am quite poor. I'm, I'm, I, I, I could even say that I'm hawkish when it comes to the war in Ukraine. Like I really do support um, the arms deliveries. Uh, I, I think it's, it's partly because I, you know, I've encountered some Ukrainians in, in the last couple of years who, who I consider really dear friends and I, I listen to their positions and, that that's where I take my uh, my my politics on Ukraine from. Um, yes, the number one goal I think should just be de escalation, and we should have a serious look and a serious collective. I know a meeting at the UN or whatever about should we like should we carry on having this massive fund of money when Putin has just said he's ready to use nukes? We f we're funding a war when a guy literally said this is not a bluff against the guy who just said it. And people are just sweeping that side. We need to stand with Ukraine. The people aren't, people aren't, people, people aren't, the, the like, decision makers, decision makers are not sweeping aside the fact that right, Putin true. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure a decision even makers. If, even if the av everyday Joe is sweeping it aside, yeah. who cares? Like, 
that the, the, the people who are making the key decisions here, they are conscious of the risks when it comes to nuclear. Because there's They're no, there's the... no go, like, there's, we, we just can't risk it. You cannot risk, but like, like de-escalation, that should be the number one priority. Just de-escalate, I think, de-escalate. Look, 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 Zelensky wants peace. Biden wants peace. Trust wants peace. But I don't think trust uh, does. Trust doesn't. I really well, I mean trust. I trust is not a serious world. <laughs> I don't know why I brought. I don't know why I even brought up trust. Mm-hmm. But um, they they want peace, but not at the cost of Ukrainian sovereignty. So, oh, what, what about the... the cost of World War Three? <laughs> Ukraine well, sovereignty or World War Three? Like we, we, you know, I signed a contract for this podcast, and the right, contract right, 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 right. gave, gave ninety right, minutes. Right, right. So <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, well, I mean, we've gone into a lot. It's, I think it's been a really good podcast, to be fair. Maybe that's just because I've been on the rant the whole time. Um, but yeah, what is it? This trust sending another 2.3 billion to Ukraine. Um, I, I just want to make this clear as well. I stand with Ukraine. I actually love Ukraine because they stand against authoritarianism and they're actually for it. And like, there's a brilliant thing on Netflix about the whole uprising, the whole protests. Yeah, absolutely fucking amazing highly suggest watching it it really breaks a lot of it down are you just googling what it's called yeah i want uh winter on fire winter yeah. on fire absolutely fucking amazing watch it you will see people no, i've seen it i've seen it myself yeah. Yeah, yeah well just to listeners you will see people fight for their rights like real people who really care about freedom and it's the most like slaughtering protest of just yeah, any last words anyway? Um, any last words? Well, I think this is my third time on the podcast, but I've enjoyed it the most. I think it's been a good back and forth. Um, yeah, it's enjoyable to sort of um, see the dividing lines between us, you know, brothers, but <laughs> we uh, we disagree on a lot of stuff. But I think it's good. It's, it's good to talk to people you disagree with um yeah i think i think you have some very interesting takes and i always leave our conversations feeling like i've a broadened perspective same um yeah and it's it's very interesting when you appear on a podcast because you really have to decide what you actually think because the when the microphone's on like you know you can't just say um <laughs> you, you've got you've got to actually have an opinion so yeah uh there we go but slava ukraini you know solidarity amen. To, to the ukrainians huh i said amen yeah um because i'm sure loads of people listen they'll be like oh you're a like i know that there'll be people who'll be who will think just because i've said the things i've said they'll put me in the box yeah, yeah just you know is is classic Rosa getting his getting his Piers Corbin positions out? But, you know, it's what it is. I'm so not Piers Corbin. It's unreal. I know so many people. Tim Pot Piers. I'm, I'm, I'm not one of them. I'm not one of them. Um, but... I think the, the peak of your career, someone from the Guardian's going to call you a Tin Pot Piers Corbin. <laughs> that would be golden if that. I mean, if Guardian wrote an article about me, that'd be hilarious. Like, upcoming far right extremist in the UK who makes <laughs> podcasts and his garage. No, if the, if the, if the independent writes an article oh. about you you'll explode <laughs> on your little podcast that'll oh. be great I'll, i know that i'm waiting for the day for them to call me like a white nationalist or something that that's the day i know i've made it um 
But yeah, thanks so much. I'm not a white nationalist. Just want to clarify that. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much, Jason. Fucking love you. It has been a good one. This is episode 41. Going strong. A lot of things happening. Getting two people recruited for the Rake team very soon, um, which is going to be pumping out the clips. Thanks to everyone showing the love on Insta. Recent reel with the one and only Steve Gomez popping off. 11.6k views. Love to see it. Um, so appreciate that. Also, I've been on banned from TikTok for a little bit. So if you want to follow me there, that'd be appreciated. I will get banned very shortly. But if you want to follow me there before I do get permanently suspended, that'd be much appreciated. <laughs> um, hopefully we don't get permanently banned from YouTube as we're two strikes away from being a permanent ban. Um, this is probably going to be a Spotify exclusive, which is such a fucking shame because this would do well on YouTube for sure. But yeah, thank you so much, listen. If you do enjoy the podcast, please give it the five stars if you are listening on Spotify, as a lot of you have. But if you are listening on Apple, please give it the five stars because nobody's given it the five stars so far on Apple. So it means so, so much if you could give it the five stars. Um, and yeah, share it with a friend as well. It's the only way this fucking thing grows. It's organic growth from YouTube. Or it's you guys saying, hmm, this is an in- interesting conversation. Listen to this. Or put it on your story. Share it. Tag it. If you listen to this, please fucking share it. Like, it's the only way the fucking thing grows. This is what I want to do. So make... If you, if you do enjoy it, share it. Please, please, please. Right. And where can people catch you? <laughs> so, um, people can catch me on Twitter. Twitter handle is Peter underscore Jacob seven. That's capital P capital J. Um, I do have a blog as well, which is not super active. Uh, and you have a podcast as well, don't you? And I have a podcast. Yeah, but we're, we're recording the episodes at the moment. So that'll be coming out. That'll be called ill informed. Oh, good, uh, that'll be an international law themed podcast. Um, yeah, my, my website is medium.com at Peter Roberts Jacobs. So, yeah, you can see some of my thoughts there. And what's your Insta? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Insta. Nah, I don't know. So <laughs> I'm not going to give that out. <laughs> I mean, you gave it out last episode. Like, I tagged yeah, you. Yeah, whatever. Every... <laughs> I don't know. I just, I'm not, I don't use Insta much. So I mean, I'm going to tag you anyway when I do the All graphics right, just, for it. I'll yeah, literally we'll just, tag just you look, tonight. <laughs> just look at the tags then. All right. Just look yeah. at the tags. Yeah, so fuck, catch him there if you are interested. Um, and thank you so much for this and love you all again. And you can catch me at Reg Podcast at Rory Jacobs, RoryVisuals.com as well if you're interested in some photography. Um, and also if you are interested in coming to the podcast, message me on Snapchat at Rory.Jacobs. You know, it doesn't matter who you are. If you hate my opinions, if you love my opinions, come on the show. We love to get anyone from any walk of life with any opinion. If you if you have some wacky opinions, we've already had a lot of them. So come on in. All right. Thank you so much for listening. It's been an absolute blast. And it is a bye from me. Peace.